BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben, stop talking to me about basketball trades. <laughs> oh! Hey, everybody, how's it going? That was low. You're the one who mentioned it. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, February 6th. It's just moments away. But before we get into this, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 are sponsors. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. It's a snowy day, but don't worry, you're still going to get a song of the day. Oh. Ben Jarofsky. I heard this one last night, D. I heard it as I was driving around town. I love this. I haven't heard it in years. Here we go. Riders on the stone. In this, into this world, we're born to into this world with you know that song yeah it's the doors my man the Ben Jarowski show starts now <laughs> it is Thursday February 6th and live from the Chicago Sun Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue this is the Ben Jarowski show Today on the program, we're talking all things what the hell happened in Iowa again and progressive politics with Miles Camp-Lassen of In These Times magazine. Union man Ed Maher is back and we welcome record store owner Paul Rufino. And now your host, record store browser, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this I Love Nancy Pelosi Thursday. And here's why. Confession time, D. Oh, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this one. I love Nancy Pelosi. None of us are surprised. <laughs> I've been saying this from time to time uh, over the last uh, several months. And every time I say it, man, do I get hit hard by my lefty friends who I love dearly as well. All right. Now, they always point out. There's a lot of issues with Nancy Pelosi and her role as the leader of the centrist wing of the Democratic Party and her role as the leader of the House of Representatives. Uh, they point out that uh, she was the author or the sponsor or, uh, on some of the most re regressive legislation, banking legislation. Yeah, I cannot argue with that down through the years. Uh, she's not really a Bernie Sanders type progressive who's going to lead the fight for more social uh, equity. Yes, I can't argue with that point. Uh, and let's see, what else? Sister. Oh, yeah, there's that bizarre, twisted uh, rule by the DACCC that, what, they will not hire uh, uh, operatives who work for candidates who run against the incumbent Dems. Yeah, can I, that's just misguided on top of everything else because you're cutting yourself off from a lot of talent. So, yeah, okay, there's a lot to criticize about her. That's it. I 
love Nancy Pelosi. All right, folks, I kind of missed this the other day, State of the Union. I always a little behind because, you know, I was still obsessed with Iowa Gate, which I cannot stop talking about. Miles Conflas will be in the studio later today, D. We are ready to take it apart. Bernie won Iowa. Somehow or other, he lost Iowa, but Bernie won Iowa. Hey, we're ready to rip that one. But anyway, so I missed. I wasn't really paying attention when she ripped up the speech. What a gangster move, D. Come on, ripped up the speech. Gangster move. So when I say that to people, you know, my friends of the leftist persuasion, what do they say to me? I'm just going to quote a very dear friend of mine who will remain unnamed, who is a huge Bernie Sanders supporter, D. I'm going to quote this person. When I said to this person today, let's call him Joey Bob. When I told hey, Joey Bob, <laughs> thanks for listening. When I told Joey Bob, man, I love Nancy Pelosi for ripping up that speech. You know what Joey Bob said to me? What did Joey Bob say? Oh, that's just an act. <laughs> I mean, she can't win. It was a total act of defiance, right? Trump was standing there. I say this to Joey Bob. I say this to all my friends of the lefty persuasion. When was the last time you stood right up to Donald Trump and ripped up a speech in front of him? That takes some guts, D. Anyway, so I appreciate that because, listen, I acknowledge that there's a lot of things I don't see eye to eye with uh, when it comes to policy with Nancy Pelosi. But this is a moment. It's an existential crisis. We have an all powerful egomaniac in charge of the government, Donald John Trump. I will now remind you folks, controls the White House. He controls the Supreme Court. They're all his lackeys that he's appointed there. He now has a voting majority there. He controls the Senate. That was clear uh, the other day when they acquitted him, even though the evidence was overwhelming. Uh, And he, of course, he controls the Republican Party and he controls Fox News, the most powerful news outlet uh, in the country. So he has his own source of counter news. That Could you imagine if the Republican Party had done to Donald Trump what the Democratic Party did to Bernie Sanders, effectively give announce that the other guy was the winner of the election? Could you imagine what Fox would have done if that were the case? They'd been screaming and yelling and calling for heads and... Democrats don't have anything remotely resembling Fox News, like an in-house, uh, an in-house media, media monster, really. So Trump controls that. So he's a very powerful guy. Nancy Pelosi stood up to him, ripped that speech, and she let him know that as far as she's concerned, the House of Representatives is still an independent body, and as far as she's concerned, the resistance continues. That's why I like Nancy Pelosi. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflas will be in the studio, as I said before, in these times reporter, big time Bernie Sanders supporter. And we, 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 we've already had a mini uh, show, D, on the phone before, about uh, 1030 today, going on and on about the New York Times and its coverage of Iowa and call, allowing Pete Buttigieg to declare himself a victor uh, in Iowa. What the heck happened in Iowa? Cannot wait to have a little more discussion with Miles Conflas on that one. Ed Maher will be here. Union man Ed Meyer will be here talking about some of the recent uh, Trump appointees to the Department of Labor. And very bad for unions. Uh, Trump is not friendly to the unions at all. Paul Rafino will be here. The record man, Paul Rafino, talking about some of the great classic political albums uh, that he is. Um, he, he's a collector, a master collector of these things. So a lot of political discussion ahead of us. 
But before we do any of that, we got the man from Malton, the man they call Dr. Doobie, with the news. Hey, how's it going? Local news. Let's talk about it. Our Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker, was in Mapleton, Illinois today, Ben Jarofsky. He toured, or maybe is touring. It's tough to tell when your show's on at one in the afternoon. Uh, he is touring the IUOE 659 Apprenticeship and Training Center. Mapleton, Illinois is a small town, roughly three hours south of Chicago, near Peoria. Ben Jarofsky, for 10 trivia points. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to really blow this trivia question. According to a 2017 census, what is the population of Mapleton, Illinois? Oh. Remember, it's a small town. Small town? Uh, 1,310. No, sir. 273 <laughs> is the population well, of Mapleton. I, I was thinking more of the, met the ma metro region. That's what I was thinking of. 273 people in Mapleton. Small yeah. town there. But the suburbs of Mapleton. And for those wondering where to go to maybe have a good time in Mapleton, uh, the Tin Lizard Bar oh. in East Peoria. Karaoke every Thursday and live entertainment every Friday and Saturday. Have you ever been there? Never. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's go there sometime. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's do it. Take a field trip. All right. Enough about Mapleton. But Mr. Pritzker, you know how I feel. I love that you're going downstate more and more. I like you. And I want these downstaters to like you, too. So remember, if you're ever in an awkward moment talking with the downstater who may disagree with you or don't doesn't support you remind them of who is coming to town this <laughs> summer performing songs toby keith and puddle of mud uh, <laughs> you got that in your back pocket with these downstaters i tell you they is love puddle those. of mud big and downstate well, i mean at one point they were okay yeah. all right time for actual news and man 20th ward alderwoman jeanette taylor is cool she aired out her grievances with our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Wednesday. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woman Spielman. The headline reads, Lightfoot accused of smoke and mirrors plan for Woodlawn that doesn't protect anybody from Obama Center displacement. Rookie Alderman Jeanette Taylor is angered by Lightfoot's decision to draft watered-down protections for Woodlawn instead of negotiating changes to the Community Benefits Ordinance backed by Taylor and Alderman Leslie Hairston. Ben, before we go any further, provide us here with a little context. Uh, what's the dilly with the dally in all this? Well, all right, I'll try to uh, be concise as I can. Uh, President Obama uh, and Michelle Obama decided it was a good idea to put the Obama Center in the middle of Jackson Park, which is on the south side, just south of the Museum of Science and Industry. Uh, that plan was approved during the uh, days of your favorite mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel. How'd you know? And uh, <laughs> Just kidding. You saw my tattoo! Uh, <laughs> yeah, P Mayor Pete and Mayor Rahm. Anyway. Uh, Take a chill pill, man. Yeah, sorry, Rahm. Uh, and uh, I posed it, okay, uh, Obviously, I don't have a tremendous amount of sway uh, in the Rahm Emanuel administration. I felt that uh, the center shouldn't go in a park, that we should leave parks for what they are, open space, and we shouldn't clutter our parks with buildings. And furthermore, I felt that there were plenty of uh, vacant land that could really use a shot in the arm throughout the south side uh, where the Obama Center could go. But you know what? They didn't listen to me. Okay, they moved on. They approved uh, Jackson Park. Meanwhile, there's the issue of the collateral impact of the center, and most significantly, the fact that it'll probably connect to rising real estate prices that already exist to cause even more gentrification in the area. So Jeanette Taylor, who was just elected alderman uh, last, when was that? 
uh, April in a runoff against Nicole Johnson. Uh, Jeanette Taylor is representing uh, the local residents and activists in that area who believe there should be some very stringent protections in a benefits agreement with the, the neighborhood to protect them from rising rents and rising real estate price. And guess what? City of Chicago really doesn't want that. I mean, that's just a fight that's going on throughout the city of Chicago, not just in Woodlawn, not just uh, with the Obama Center, but also on the north side and Wicker Park and Bucktown, the 606 Trail. This is just a big time fight throughout the city. By and large, the people who run this city view gentrification as a bonus because it's a sign of investment in the city. It's a sign that wealthier people are coming to the city and they do not regard uh Deals the way the agreements the one like the one that Jadette Taylor is is uh, so, um, supporting that would limit the amount of money a, a, a landlord could uh, seek in rent as good for the city. So this just gonna be a battle there, D. It's just if Jeanette Taylor holds the line. She's going to come face to face with the powers that be in the city of Chicago. All right, so we're all caught up here. So let's uh, continue with the Fran Spielman article. Alderwoman Taylor is livid about Lightfoot's decision to draft her own water down protections for Woodlawn instead of coming to the table and negotiating changes to the community benefits ordinance introduced last summer by Taylor and Alderman Leslie Harrison. By the way, Ben, what ward, Leslie Harrison? Come on, D. Fifth ward. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Uh, Jeanette Taylor gave a city hall press conference alongside uh, worried Woodlawn residents on Wednesday. And in Jeanette Taylor fashion, her comments were honest and powerful. We have the quotes only, no audio. I know, so I won't be uh, doing this any justice here. But we're going to read the quotes from Jeanette Taylor here. Here's the first set of quotes. Quote, people are being displaced while we play games. It's just smoke and mirrors. You wasted my time and my community's time with what Taylor called, quote, BS. She thinks she does not have to listen to me and she does not have to work with me, so I'm going to fight her and everybody else on making sure this doesn't pass. The she in that sentence is Mayor Lori Lightfoot, correct? This little light of mine, I'm going <laughs> to let it shine. That's correct. Oh, okay, I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that the she in that sentence is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. You talk, hey, I just got finished talking about how much guts Nancy Pelosi has to defy uh, the all-powerful president of the United States who controls pretty much everything except for the House of Representatives. How about Jeanette Taylor? Takes a lot of guts to stand up to an all-powerful mayor, particularly one who does not take well to criticism, does not really like it when people speak out against her. I'm not, I could guarantee you that Jeanette Taylor is not number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on Lori Lightfoot's list of favorite people. In fact, she's probably in the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of people that Lori Lightfoot least likes at the moment. All right. So uh, I got to give Jeanette Taylor. I, well, everybody knows I'm a big Jeanette Taylor fan. We, how many, she's been on the show many times. I like her because she speaks her mind. She speaks from her heart. She's very passionate. And um, she's been there. She's on the front lines of so many fights in that neck of the woods. You know, I, I tell Jeanette I did not take a stand in her election against Nicole Johnson because Nicole Johnson went to high school with my daughter. And I just I felt divided in that one, you know, but. I love Jeanette Taylor. 
I, she went on a hunger strike uh, to defy the powers that be, to force the city to build, uh, to re, uh, reopen Diet High School, a neighborhood, make it a neighborhood school. Uh, she's always been very uh, outspoken. She speaks her mind, unafraid. We need more people in the city council like Jeanette Taylor. All right. Jeanette Taylor continues here. Uh, this was during her city hall press conference uh, speaking to the mayor in public here. Quote, you take advantage of the new alderman who doesn't really know the process and you introduce what you want to introduce. I was never told that they were going to rewrite their own housing ordinance. I would have uh, I would never have agreed. Taylor said that, quote, the only thing we agree on is the demand that residents have a right of first refusal to purchase the buildings they live in before they are sold to private developers. What happens to the people who are retired who own their homes that are going to be property taxed out? What happens to the voucher holders? Their voucher is for $1,500. What happens when this landlord comes back and says your rent is going to be $2,000? Do you think these families can afford an additional $500? I don't think so. This does not protect anybody. Look at the color of the people they're supposed to be protecting. If this was anywhere else, there would not be a conversation. Okay, so now she introduces the racial angle, and I believe there was a follow-up to this? Yeah, reminded that Lightfoot is African-American. Jeanette Taylor said, quote, Just because you black don't mean you black. Where does she live? Where did she grow up? All right, I am going to definitely stay out of that uh, back and forth. Uh, I have no place in the middle of that one for all the obvious reasons, uh, but I'll say this. When it comes to the issue, the heart of this uh, of this dispute is an ironclad protection for people who live in the Woodlawn area, people who live in uh, close to the Obama Center. And the reality is prices are already rising in that area in, t in anticipation of the Obama Center. Prices will continue to rise. I believe we're going to see the southern, uh, southern gentrification movement that's coming out of the loop and going through Bronzeville, heading into Hyde Park. It's been happening for many years. It's part of a larger plan in the city. The city makes it clear that they think it's in the best interest of Chicago uh, to have gentrification, to have wealthier people. And if you have wealthier people move to a neighborhood, they pay more for the houses uh, and the property taxes rise as a result of rise assessments on the value and guess what folks it's just inevitable people are going to be priced out Jeanette Taylor is asking that the city do something it's never done before and that is protect uh, working class people middle lower middle class people and poor people from being moved by as a result of gentrification I've I've now lived through gentrification D uh, that's occurred on the north side in Lincoln Park in Lakeview in North Center in Wicker Park uh, Bucktown I've humble Park I've seen it happen in, in my lifetime and uh, never once has the city of Chicago stepped in in any way to protect uh, the interests of most of the people who moved out it's widely considered to be healthy and good for the city if poor people get moved out of a neighborhood and wealthier people get moved in that's just a fact d that's just how we look at it here in the city of chicago jeanette taylor is fighting a very tough fight and not only that it's the obama center as in obama okay you know obama is still very popular in the city of chicago if you recall in 2015 all it took was a commercial from barack obama endorsing mayor rahm and mayor rahm was reelected. well that and he put that sweater on that oh he put the sweat he's wearing the sweater okay come on ben stop being so hard on him 
The Rob sweater thing cracks me up. No, I put the sweater on. This is, I know. This is how little, uh, little appreciation he had for your intelligence, people. They got together. They go, boss, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a sweater on you. You're going to say, uh, I own this. And everybody's going to go, we forgive you. And it worked. Oh, come on, Pat. He's wearing a sweater. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is wearing a sweater. Lori Lightfoot, don't start wearing sweaters. Oh, my God, my fellow Chicagoans. You know, their vote counts the same as mine, D. That's a fact, okay? Uh, anyway, Jeanette Taylor, you know, more power to you. I really appreciate the uh, your, your your gutsiness. You're like Nancy Pelosi, all right? I'm going to link Nancy Pelosi and Jeanette Taylor. Got a lot of guts. And I like how you stand up to the powers that be. It's going to be a tough fight, Jeanette Taylor. He loves Nancy Pelosi. Love Nancy Pelosi, D. Jeanette Taylor, we got your back here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, all right? Jeanette Taylor wants to go back to the bargaining table, starting with the CBA ordinance, and find a way to meet in the middle. Uh, ended out here with some quotes with Jeanette Taylor. Quote, I ain't saying all or nothing. I ain't foolish enough to think that, she said. But while they're wasting time, my community is being gentrified, and people are being put out. I, these reporters don't know how to handle uh, such honesty. Yeah. And all to, oh, my. <laughs> well, that was candid. <laughs> or they go, you know, we like Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> uh, no, how, come on. Should I do my Mike Flannery invitation? Yeah. Go for it. Lori Lightfoot got 75% of the vote. Come on, Flannery. Come back to this studio. Oh, Ben, we got a birthday to celebrate. Yeah, that's right. One of our uh, former guests on the Ben Jarofsky Show has a birthday today. Ooh. You remember Emmanuel Chris Welch? Yeah. Today's his birthday. Hey, Chairman Chris of the Welch. Illinois House Executive Committee. State representative from the western suburbs, I believe, the pride and joy, I want to say, provides a West? Uh, maybe not. I can't remember. Who can remember all these things? All right. Well, I'm sure. He went to Northwestern and he played baseball. Did you know that? Oh, my God. <laughs> Things you know yeah, for yeah, some yeah. reason. Well, because he, he said it in the studio, because I was listening to him when he said it. Happy birthday, Chris Welch. And uh, yeah, hope your high school is awesome. Okay, so let's go to the live stream chat here. A lot of people weighing in. Uh, let's see here. Kyle weighed in. He says, uh, D, talking to me, I'm D. Uh, D, if you rip up a piece of paper in front of Ben, will he sing your praises? <laughs> He loves Nancy Pelosi. I, I love to. I do love Nancy Pelosi. I do, but I'm not. I'm not as all powerful in my little universe as Donald John Trump is. Isn't his? It's the other way around. Who who asked the question? Oh, that's Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. If I dared to rip up a piece of paper in front of Doctor Doobie, would you sing my praises? Because that's who runs the show, folks. Don't don't kid yourself. As long as it's not a rolling paper. Don't go ripping <laughs> up rolling papers around Dr. Doobie. Kyle weighed in here. The real question for Ben about Mapleton. We were talking about Mapleton, <laughs> Illinois earlier. The real question for Ben about Mapleton is, uh, what is the mascot of the high school in Mapleton, and which politicians graduated from I, you there? You know what? I, could, <laughs> I do not know. In fact, I have a confession. Who, who said this? Kyle again? Kyle, I got a confession to make. Until Dennis said, <laughs> Mapleton, I I didn't know it existed. Oh, God, should I have admitted that, D? We lost all our Mapleton listeners. We're, they're the Mapleton Tigers, and the most famous alumni is Kyle. All right? <laughs> Actually, I do not know that. We know. Brianna weighed in. Uh, Dennis cracking me up with his Jeanette Taylor reads. Yeah, I'm a white guy. All right, let's see. <laughs> Uh, Brianna, I was thinking the same things when the doctor was reading. He, and he made a point to say, we don't have the uh, audio, so I'll do my best. We're going to bring Jeanette Taylor back to the studio, and you get to hear uh, Jeanette in her own voice. 
Uh, let's see here. Oh, it says here, Brianna let us know, Trump is advertising on Ben's show. There was a, uh, when people watch on the live stream, there was a Trump ad before they go to I, us. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, man, all powerful. He's like, yeah, it's, uh, same thing happened the other day when I was looking for an article about impeachment or something. There was Trump, man. I'm telling you. Hey, that's why I saw this is going to get the, my lefty friends mad. Like I always say, centrist. I don't know why you're wasting your time with Biden. I don't know why you're wasting time with Buttigieg. Go with Bloomberg. He, got, he can match Trump dollar for dollar and all that commercial stuff. Right, Kyle's making fun of Ben some more for his love for Nancy Pelosi. Kyle says, this is great to hear from Ben about Pelosi. I now just want him to look at a, a watching magic show and seeing his eyes glow with awe and entertainment. How'd they do hard. that? You, said, you guys are hard on Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> and Ben. All right, tell you what. Oh, it's like, oh that's tough. <laughs> All right. I want any one of you out there trash talk, talking Nancy Pelosi, go up to Donald Trump and rip up, up Well, they speech. don't have the opportunity oh, to, I you see. know. Okay, okay. Stephen's the man. I guess he's a, a Mapleton know-it-all here. There is no high school in Mapleton. Well, there is 273 people, so. Is that the same Stephen who chastised me yesterday? Yeah. Steven, I was, Steven. Steven, he's doing good roll, about Steven. that by the way he hasn't said bernie bro uh, you said it oh, just i mean now. come on but he hasn't said it in uh over no, 24 I, hours I, it's Steven, really good i actually i took your uh, criticism to heart uh unlike you know some of the other things about nancy pelosi i took it to heart uh you were absolutely right and i i was telling people yesterday stop using it stop using the phrase so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna steve i learned from steven as far as those Nancy haters, come on, show some love for NP. Oh, Ben, I know what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. You always bring this up, and you're terrible at uh, remembering. Yeah, you're very <laughs> terrible I got some at remembering. You wanted to compare headlines, right? Oh, well, I was going to do that later. Uh, when? Oh my goodness. Okay, can we do that right now? Well, yep. Set it up now. So we get. So we usually uh, set up two headlines: Chicago Tribune, Chicago Sun Times. Yes. What's there to can, set up anymore? We, that was brilliant. Well, there you go. We see which paper right. did the best. So, uh, yeah, so now uh, uh, Dennis will be the judge, okay? Live right. stream chat can weigh in as well. All right, so first let's go with the tribute. Now, just so you know, the Sun-Times is a tabloid, so they have tabloid-style headlines. They, very, pun very punny. Yeah, punny, funny, punchy, right? Okay. So yesterday, as we all know, the U.S. Senate, in its infinite wisdom, decided to acquit Donald John Trump of the charges uh, that uh, the, the House had hit him with. All right? He's acquitted. All right? He's all powerful now. He can't be impeached. Or at least for the moment. They may, you know, they could bring back impeachment. Anyway, so the Tribune recorded it with this headline, and I'll show it to the camera. Senate jury acquits Trump. Very to the point. Senate. <laughs> the man loves the tribulation. Very to the point. I like that. My beloved bright one wrote this one. Teflon Don. I love Teflon Don. What do you think, D? Live stream chat. Who wrote the better headline? What are the, what are the headlines again? Teflon. Miles Conflassen has entered the studio. Miles Conflassen has entered the studio. Teflon Don from the, the Chicago Sun Times. Chicago Sun Times. And, and the Chicago Tribune. And the Chicago Tribune was. Oh, I'm sorry. The Chicago Tribune was Senate jury acquits Trump. So you have Senate jury acquits Trump or Teflon Don. I mean, <laughs> I like the Tribunes. Very to the point. Right. No messing around. All right. Okay. Explains it just well, you know. I like to Well, in, in defense of my beloved bright one, above Teflon. Nope. Pat Rod says Sun Times. Brianna says Sun Times. 
Yeah, but because uh, I don't know if you know, there was a mobster in New York, John Gotti. They called him Teflon John. Uh, he he he'd never get uh, indicted or convicted by the feds. Anyway, uh, Senate acquits Trump. So, you know, the Sun Times package the Senate acquits Trump. Uh, which is the, pretty much the same headline the Tribune has, but then they give you that little spice. Teflon Don. All right. But you know what? Miles Confleson will have about a minute or two while we take this break, and he'll think it over, and he'll deliver his verdict oh, on which headline is better. There we go. I'm so glad you came in today for this one. <laughs> it's the Ben Jarowski Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. Illinois is a state with a grand history of profound impact on our nation and our world. We've sent four transformative presidents to the White House. We were the first state to ratify two of the most important amendments to the U.S. Constitution. One abolishing slavery and another one granting women the right to vote. The first cell phone was invented here. So was the first television remote control and the first widely used internet browser. What all these things have in common... break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from the chicago sun times it's thursday which means miles complossen from uh, in these times uh, is in the studio miles we have uh, a lot to talk about uh your insights on iowa i, I really enjoy and appreciate uh, we had a mini conversation at about i forget 10 30 day i said just, you know what miles save it for the show uh so we'll take that deep dive but i got like three things i want to ask you so we'll start with uh your verdict a lot of pressure on you uh you're the deciding vote uh which which uh headline do you prefer about donald trump's acquittal by the senate the tribunes senate jury acquits trump former the sun times my beloved bright one teflon don Balls in your court. Teflon Don. Gotta go for it. I love Sun a pun. Sometimes for the win. I love a pun. Although, you know, you mentioned earlier John is about John Gotti. Were they calling him Teflon John or Teflon Don because he is a Don? Yeah, I the... can't remember. I think it may be Teflon Don. I, Teflon Don works on so many levels yeah. as a pun because his name is Donald. Exactly. Uh, and he acts like a gangster. Exactly. He's a uh, perfect phone call. That's the whole thing. Yeah, you know, he's just trying call. to be the gangster president. There's Maybe. a different one. I forget what it, I mean, it clearly wasn't a Chicago one, but he was, you know, at this National Prayer Club breakfast, this family thing today where he went on this tirade 
parade, of course, you know, congratulating himself for his uh, acquittal. And he had a newspaper that just said acquitted on it. And rather than doing any of the prayer stuff, he just holds, holds up the paper. You know, this guy. It, no, th- he's out there. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's so many uh, centrists who say Bernie can't win because, uh, you know, he he uh, took his shirt off and, and <laughs> I don't know where he took his shirt. He took he was shirtless somewhere. Yeah, okay? He's outside of the bounds of politics. Yeah. Therefore, he's unelectable. Look at this. Look I at know. Trump. <laughs> Guys, it's uh, the old rules have been broken. Have you been yeah. paying attention? Uh, I mean, just think about, all right, let's get into the uh, the, the state of the state speech. Yeah. Um, I was talking about the, my appreciation for Nancy Pelosi. Get your thoughts on that. Uh, because she ripped up the speech. She was been bla- uh, blasted. I don't know if you've seen this mainstream media people. She broke the uh, yeah. protocol, et cetera, which is so bizarre that she'd be, uh, uh, she'd be ripped. First of all, Trump refused to shake her hand. Secondly, the Senate Republicans were breaking into the chance of yeah. four more years. This is supposed to be the State of the Union. And we all, we remember, you know, Joe Wilson who yelled, you lie at Obama. I mean, this is in terms of like the protocol. It, the sad thing is, you know, it kind of is theater in, in so many ways. The uh, audience for the State of the Union dropped down uh, precipitously from what it had been for previous ones because people are tuning it out. You know, there's too much going on. This is the same week as the Iowa caucus, the same week as this impeachment trial. And, well, you know, and everyone in Chicago was at first Tuesday. So that's no. true. <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> Thanks to the great, the great debate. Uh, uh, yeah. But I mean, what I my main takeaway from the State of the Union, what an ugly, ugly, just disgusting speech. I mean, every these tropes he was going in on these about, you know, these murderous immigrants. It just had this air of not only was there just blatant lies about the state of the economy, which uh, we published an article on on in these times, kind of debunking some of these myths that Trump has been uh, trumpeting about, you know, these are, uh, we're, we're seeing record growth and economy's never been better when in fact, you know, wages are down, jobs are still going overseas. These trade deals are going to screw American workers. So, I mean, it was a lot of uh, lies from Trump, which we could expect, but also, you know, he went kind of full Steve Bannon. And this is what I really see in his presidency. This has been the core element that has animated his entire presidency is this true demagoguery of saying, you know, your enemies are these murderous immigrants that are coming in and we need to, you know, do everything we can to go after sanctuary cities and, you know, sanctuary states. And uh, so it's understandable that Nancy Pelosi, you know, not just ripped up the speech, but if you watch throughout the speech, she's kind of looks disgusted because it's this really vile rhetoric that we have not seen. You know, State of the Unions are usually where there's some type of, you know, extending your hand and trying to call towards unity and stuff. It should be very clear to everybody on both sides of the aisle. Those days are done. Uh, That is not how politics is being operated in Washington right now. It's, you know, a full out fight and you know it's a it's, it's a grab for power and that's how i think if you oppose donald trump you should be approaching this not trying to you know uh uh compromise with the type of really um racist approach to um to the presidency that he's brought into office and that was made very clear to me through the state of the union and and uh, yeah it began with uh, on, uh with his uh, inauguration speech and i thought the inauguration speech was american very, carnage and yeah, all that yeah yeah it was very similar uh and they, they put the bar really low in terms of what he's inheriting so that you think he's inheriting just utter chaos uh, and ruin and now he's yeah. trying <laughs> He's proclaiming every problem fixed, and I made America great again. Uh, and it's true. Yeah. It's this Steve Bannon and, as you mentioned, Stephen Miller, too. I mean, these are people that, you know, uh, 
they practice in ethno-nationalism. The things that they talk about are, you know, believing that, that we should have some kind of white ethno-state. We need to restrict not just um, what they would call legal uh, immigration, you know, undocumented uh, people in the U.S. They want to shut down all immigration. They, that's their, you know, that's their fantasy. That's their goal. And that is really a, you know, sick right-wing approach to government that b- by far most Americans do not agree with. You know, that is just a far extreme, uh, far right goal. And the fact that it has as any advocates in the White House is just really disgusting. So luckily, we have a chance to get rid of that uh, well, this year. This is something that really uh, irritates me uh, as a lefty. Bernie Sanders' position on most of the issues are closer to what I believe the majority of Americans, uh, uh, how the majority of Americans view it, by polls. Donald Trump's are more extreme than what most Americans do. And yet, the way the game is played... Uh, it's as though Bernie Sanders is the extremist yeah. and that Donald Trump <laughs> represents what the mainstream view. Donald Trump in his speech had his denunciation of socialism, uh, socialist medicine. We're going to have American medicine. Like, what the hell does that even mean? Yeah. American I- medicine is apparently, you know, $50,000 uh, medical debt and, you know, co-pays and deductibles and not being able to, you know, splitting your medicine in half because you can't afford it. You know, this is like um, EpiPens costing a thousand percent more than they do in Europe. That's American medicine. You know, like that's the status quo we're living under. So I don't think most people are, are, are happy with that. And you know that's true because the number one concern from Democratic voters and all of these polls, number one issue is health care. Mm-hmm. You know? And of course, the person they trust the most on that issue is Bernie Sanders, who's running on a universal Medicare for all proposal that would eliminate all those you know, really draconian elements of our health care system that exist now and punish poor and working class people. Yeah, and the person they should trust the least on health care is Donald Trump. Who tried to restrict a 32 million Americans of healthcare. I mean, that was what happened in 2018. You know, yeah. it was there was a really, I think, that election was a referendum on Trump and the Republicans By trying way, to don't take use away past tense. He still has his lawyers yeah. in court trying uh, to strip uh, healthcare benefits away yeah. from people. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, no, I um, and Nancy Pelosi, by the way, here's an interesting thing. I hope it comes to this way. I don't know if it will come to this. So I'm really looking far ahead. But if uh, Bernie Sanders is elected president, most likely uh, the Speaker of the House that he'll be dealing with to get his agenda through will be Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Really be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, anyway, I can only hope something like that happens. All right, uh, before we hit to Iowa, just your thoughts. You were you were at the audience at first Tuesday. So Carlos Ramirez Rosa battling it out, representing Bernie Sanders versus Brandon Johnson, uh, who's representing Elizabeth Warren, two very young uh, champions of progressivity here in the city of Chicago. Very uh, two good uh, on their feet speakers. Oh yeah, uh, quick thinkers. Uh, which uh, who do you, who? What was your thought on uh, how they? Performed? I really enjoyed it. I thought also. I mean, it was incredible. You and Maya didn't like say a word. You know, it was pretty much all uh, Brandon and Carlos going in, and you know, to set it up for listeners might not know, Brandon was representing uh, Elizabeth Warren because he is a, a surrogate for her, and Carlos. Uh, Ramirez Rosa, of course, backing Bernie Sanders. So kind of having a proxy uh, debate there. And I mean, I thought they're both really, really good speakers. I mean, both of them have a clear um, mastery of uh, the issues that working class people care about. They clearly both have a passion for it. I mean, this this it was almost silly because they're both saying the same thing. Clearly, like, you know, everything they agree on, it's just the question of who is the better champion of that. And in that way, I didn't think it was a completely fair fight because, you know, Bernie Sanders has won Iowa and 
Elizabeth Warren is not performing quite as well. You know, she doesn't have clearly the same amount of grassroots backing across the country that uh, that that Sanders does. So in that way, I mean, I think that Carlos was a more uh, more effective just because I think the case for Bernie Sanders as the representative of uh, the campaign that is representing this broad movement, as you can see from people like, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar backing him, but also the grassroots organizations that Carlos talked about that are really made up of working class people of color, groups like People's Action and Center for Popular Democracy. They've all signed on to um, the Bernie Sanders campaign as a movement, you know, as a vehicle to implement their vision of social change. I mean, you just saw that with United Working Families here who just endorsed uh, uh, Bernie Sanders as well. And this is the group, um, you know, they've got CTU and other uh, unions, but these are really the most progressive, the most left wing of the labor movement groups in Chicago. And they were instrumental in seeing this uh, sea change in the city council we had in 2019 with um, all these new great advocates, just like Jeanette Taylor, you know, you were um, talking about before. I mean, these are the kind of groups that have been able to influence electoral politics um, really uh, in a very incredible way. And the fact that they're on board with Bernie Sanders, I think, speaks to the um, argument that Carlos was making. And the other, but the point, the main point that Brandon was making, and by the way, D, are we going to be able to download it and so people can hear it? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll have yeah. that available for download this, first uh, Tuesday. This for, uh, yeah, folks can hear it so they can hear what we're talking about. But uh, the counterpunch that Brandon came in on was of the issues of reparations, which I haven't heard uh, raised uh, in a while since I think it was Marion Williamson uh, was yeah. brought it up in the first or, or second debate. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, and he was uh, saying that part of the reason why he supported uh, Elizabeth Warren is that she had signed on to reparations. So, uh, uh, yeah, two uh, strong voices from the progressive left. Uh, weighing in on the on the race. All right, let's get down to business, man. Iowa. Uh, the first Tuesday was the day after Iowa, and at that moment, uh, most of the mainstream media was saying that Pete Buttigieg was the victor. Pete Buttigieg himself. Uh, <laughs> What an operator. Uh, and no votes have been uh, counted. And he announced th- that he was the victor. Uh, he was victorious. And thank you. Then he was given interviews in New Hampshire the next day where he was like getting teary eyed at <laughs> what it all meant. And uh, I don't know. It looks as though uh, he may not have won the Iowa. We, we still don't know who won the Iowa caucus, do we? I think we do. And I think that the answer is Bernie Sanders. I don't think, and I think your listeners know that. I think people, you know, around the country look at what just happened and, you know, what an absurd travesty of democracy to have this situation where we're waiting, you know, we're days later. It's Thursday afternoon. These caucuses happen Monday night. We still don't have full reporting. And what we also just saw is apparently Tom Perez, the head of the DNC, just ordered a recanvas, not, yeah. you know, essentially a recount of the results. And that happened on the verge of, you know, 97% had been reported. And these remaining uh, precincts that were left were from satellite caucuses. Those are these are um, areas for people that either had to work the night shift, you know, so that they set them up earlier in the day. So these are, you know, often laborers uh, and for non-native English speakers. So they had, you know, Swahili, they had uh, um, Spanish, of course, different languages. Uh, this is the first year Iowa offered this, which is great, but they didn't c- count these until the end. And by all marks, and I mean, I was in Iowa working on these satellite caucuses as well. 
Bernie was running the table on it. You know, there was not, none of these other campaigns were doing outreach. And these are some of the poorest, you know, most uh, these immigrant working class communities where the Sanders campaign was doing outreach. These are what's left to be counted. Look, Bernie Sanders, not only did he get more more than 6,000 more votes than his closest competitor in the first round in terms of popular vote. Um, he's still led by 2,500 after the, you know, second align, the, the, the second alignment, whatever that, you know, when you, People from different campaigns that didn't reach a threshold had to realign. He still won by 2,500 votes. And by the end of this, there's almost no doubt that they're going to get the same number of state delegates, Pete Buttigieg and uh, Bernie Sanders, because of how the you know geography works out. But if Bernie's leading by 6,000 votes, and in terms of these state-based, uh, these state-based equivalents, the state delegates, uh, right now there's a three out of, you know, over a thousand of these state delegates that are separating them. So this is, uh, it's absurd to think that as a result of this, Pete Buttigieg is somehow the winner of the Iowa caucus, but it speaks to this arcane way of, uh, you know, enumerating these delegates. So for me, I mean, it's hard to look at this and take away anything else than, you know, Bernie Sanders got the most votes. Bernie Sanders is going to, you know, have a big lead on delegates. He's going into New Hampshire on Tuesday uh, night with a, a huge lead. He raised $25 million in the month of January alone. That's most than more of his, that's more than most of his competitors making a whole quarter. The energy in the Democratic Party, uh, the energy in the Democratic primary is with Bernie Sanders right now. And I understand that there's, you know, a lot of hand wringing going on around that. I don't know, you know, I can't speak to exactly the mechanizations of why they decided to release these results, how they did and why they did. But there's, you know, looking at what happened there, I have to say it is like a travesty of democracy, but Bernie Sanders has the momentum. And I think we're going to see after Tuesday night, it's going to, you know, reshape this field even more. And the real uh, takeaway besides all of that. Joe Biden got in fourth. This is the person that, you know, the um, establishment of the Democratic Party has been telling us for a better part of a year is the most electable candidate. Mm-hmm. This is who is the safest bet for Democrats to take on Donald Trump. He got, you know, almost about half of the votes that Bernie Sanders got in Iowa. If this is really the person who is the strongest candidate for Democrats to be their standard bearer in 2020, how can you, you know, look at those results and still believe that? So, I mean, there's a long way to go. This was only one. Uh, this is only one caucus and the first in the country. But I think this should be very clear to people looking which way the winds are blowing and, you know, the type of and the, and the campaign that is best to get behind, that is strongest to defeat Donald Trump in November. Well, I the the reaction to Bernie Sanders, uh, I get what do I put it to you this way, uh, Miles? Uh, I'm exposed to many people who really don't like Bernie Sanders. Sure. Okay. Uh, And more to the point, they don't like Bernie Sanders supporters. Yeah. Uh, And I try to be as fair as I can in uh, figuring out why they have the aversion to Sanders that they do. And it, it, it's a wide array. There's people who are just ideologically opposed to him. Uh, they don't believe uh, in his leftist worldview. Uh, there's people who despise uh, his supporters and their their online presence. Uh, there's Hillary Clinton supporters who are still bitter from 2016. 
uh, have not those wounds have not healed. I don't think they'll ever heal uh, fully. Uh, and uh, and then there's just your basic dem dems who uh, are angry at him, don't like him because he kind of makes them look bad. See, it's just like a, a wide yeah. a range of people. And right now, I'm seeing Bernie. I bet you Bernie's got like 30 to 35 percent of the Dems, the Democratic voters in the primary. It's the rest that could give him serious problems going through for all the different reasons. Yeah. So, what do you, do you think the. Is it something Bernie could do to win them over, or should he just ignore them and that opposition and plow ahead? Well, I don't think that there, in terms of doing anything, I mean, he's not going to change what he's been saying for the past 40 years of his political career. I mean, there's nothing that the what the Sanders campaign represents really is a threat to much of what has long existed as, you know, the. Um, what people use as a ex- common expression is the democratic establishment. But these are all of the, you know, the think tanks. These are all the, uh, you know, media representatives. These are the um, p- paid operatives, all the people that kind of make up w- what has been the democratic consensus for a very long time. And they are overrepresented in mainstream media. So when you look and you turn on cable news or even when you look on social media, these are the kind of people you see. And I think that this is really the the type of uh, individual that you're talking about primarily. Um, and those people are not going to uh, wake up in the morning and sign on board and say, oh, we believe in, you know, everything that you and Bernie Sanders have been fighting <laughs> yeah. for for 40 years. They're not going to do that. That said, if the democratic will of the people is uh, expressed in such a way that shows Bernie Sanders is clearly the top choice. What will they do? We had, we don't know what they're going to do, but you know the thing to do at that point is to get on board and say this guy is our best chance to beat Donald Trump. This is the person who has the energy, the momentum, and whose agenda best represents what voters actually want. Because in terms of the voters, they're not thinking how these establishment... I mean, plenty of people, I think, are worried, understandably, about the ability of the Democratic Party in 2020 to take on Donald Trump after we saw a disastrous and humiliating defeat four years ago. That's understandable. That said, you got to pick somebody to run against Donald Trump. And right now, when we look at this field of candidates, you know, the clear... uh, the, the best individual was built a campaign that can build a coalition. It's going to bring in new voters. I mean, people have been talking about, oh, there's the turnout wasn't uh, as high in Iowa this time as people had hoped. That's true. But if you look at the areas where it was higher, it's the youth vote. The youth vote was higher this time than it was in 2008 when Obama ran in terms of 17 to 29-year-olds. So there are new voters that are getting engaged. And I think it has to, and you know, Bernie Sanders understandably won that demographic overwhelmingly in the Iowa caucus. So I think you know, you've got to look at who's going who's gonna to best do this. And you even saw, I think it was today, Jason Johnson, who's the guy who's the uh, politics editor at The Root. This is somebody that had uh, written off Bernie Bernie Sanders candidacy before last year, he said Bernie would be out by August. You know, this is this is no friend of Bernie Sanders. He went on and said, look, I'm looking at it right now. And if I see Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders, Bernie's the best 
person to expand the electorate and to take on Donald Trump. So I don't think it's going to be a complete, you know, come to Bernie moment for everybody. But I think that uh, in that media and political establishment, but I do think eventually it's going to become very clear that you've got to, you know, make a choice and get on board uh, the best campaign that is um, positioned to beat Donald Trump. And that is Bernie Sanders. All right, Miles. Now you and I exist in what's it's the alternative media. Yeah. It's, I've lived there my whole life. I've, that's where I've worked my whole life, the alternative media. I'm just not ready for a mainstream guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're much younger than me, but you're on the path mm-hmm. of, to a lifetime on alternative media. So from your vantage point in alternative media, do you believe that the establishment media, or what we call the mainstream media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, CBS, ABC, NBC, W, you know, uh, all, all the CNN, all of them, yeah. uh, put Fox out of it because they're completely right wing controlled. Do you think they have a bias against Bernie? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a structural bias. I don't think it's individual people being saying they don't like Bernie. I think that's plenty true. And if you look at the kind of guests that are booked on these networks, when was the last time you saw a real pro-Bernie voice? You know, every once in a while, we were talking about this, every once in a while, CNN will have on Crystal Ball, who has a show on uh, The Hill. She was previous MSNBC anchor. She's pretty outspoken, um, Bernie advocate. But it's, there's a dearth of, complete dearth of, of pro-Bernie voices on these uh, outlets, and I think it, it speaks to the uh, incentives that these networks have, and it has to do with the kind of organizations that are funding them. I mean, these are for-profit media entities, and they're running ads for pharmaceutical companies that would stand to lose tons of money if there was a Medicare for All system that provided, you know, cheaper drug, che- cheaper prescription prescription drugs for seniors and other Americans. I mean, there's a uh, actual uh, incentive question here that has to do with the people that are, you know, in the board rooms that are making those decisions, not necessarily the journalists or the editors. And I don't, you know, decry any of them for doing their jobs in these networks and these, you know, media outlets. But of course, I think that there is a bias. And, you know, that's when when I talk about, you know, how I approach it as, you know, I'm pretty open about my politics, my political leanings, and even my preferences when it comes to, you know, electoral politics. It's because I'm, you know, pretty transparent about where, you know, I land on these things. And I think we should see more of that. And and honestly, Fox is like that, too. I mean, I completely disagree with their the political program they're pushing, but they're at least explicit uh, for the most part in the fact that they are it's basically Trump TV, you know, that they have they've they've sewn up that cohort and they're speaking to the president and they're trying to provide uh, both a megaphone for him and also a way to influence him on policy. There's nothing like that on the Democratic side, besides the fact that Bernie Sanders is going to build up his own media empire. If you look, you know, he's got way more engagement on social media and through these various channels. He's created his podcast. You know, he does these Facebook lives. And that goes back to when he was mayor of Burlington. He had that com- <laughs> Bernie Talks to the Community well, show. It shows a trip. Man. It shows a trip. You want to go back to the uh, 80s and yeah. <laughs> take oh, a rewind. Oh, my Lord, <laughs> <laughs> Things have upgraded a little yeah. bit since Bernie talks to the community. But I think that that's the kind of, you know, way to speak directly to people that we just don't have right now. You know, there's all these barriers through mainstream media. And I think that's how you saw with all these Iowa results being recorded. The New York Times had the the needle. All right. Let's talk about this. Uh, this gets into, again, a little more uh, specificity of uh, the mainstream media and their approach uh, to Iowa. Now, I've followed this one closely 
Uh, and I had, I think I told you, I had uh, Bernie supporters call me up, yelling at me. Blank. New York Times. They were so mad at the New York Times. They're so mad at... Um, uh, Rachel Maddow station just blanked on the name of it. MSNBC. MSNBC. Oh my goodness. Yeah. MSNBC, man. They like all they have are libs. They never had. They don't have any real uh, lefties. You got to say that on the air. They uh -huh. suck. Da 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 da. And uh, I don't watch it, so yeah. I just. But I do read the New York Times. The New York Times had this cockamamie needle thing. Like uh, it, it, Cub fans, old Cub fans, remember the Seanometer that somebody had in the stands at Wrigley Field back in the day. And every time Sean Dunson got a hit, his batting average would go up and the meter would go up. It, it was some hokey thing that Cub fans came up with. It was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. But the New York Times has got this meter thing where the needle goes dee 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 dee. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg has got a nine. They were lodged, and Pete Buttigieg had ninety five percent going to win the Iowa caucus. And I'm like. Bernie Sanders is winning the vote. I don't, yeah. So already there's a disconnect because one, the, if you look at the actual numbers, Bernie Sanders is winning the vote. Then you look at their cockamamie needle thing. Yeah. It says that Pete Buttigieg is 95% chance. So how do you deal with that obvious disconnect? Do you think it's just like the New York Times is too into the weeds for its own good? Do you think that the New York Times uh, got played by the Pete Buttigieg campaign, who was pretty slick about claiming victory before any votes were counted? Or do you think the New York Times was just like beaming out <laughs> what it wanted? Come on, Pete. Come yeah. <laughs> on, Pete. I mean, where do you fall on that? I don't know if, you know, the editors or the, you know, whatever app, creators, uh, technology gurus that are behind this glorious needle uh, were uh, on the side of Pete. But I do know that it was, uh, as you said, uh, it was about to break off of its uh, 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 break off because it said it was 95 percent for Pete. And now, lo and behold, you know, it didn't apparently they weren't factoring in these satellite caucuses that went overwhelmingly for Bernie. So now they first they got rid of the needle. They took the needle off the page. <laughs> and he brought now, it back. now they brought back the needle. Now the needle's saying 54 percent Bernie. So, you know, we saw this in 2016, right? We saw all these polls that said all that, you know, we got to believe what, you know, what Bernie's campaign says, what, what uh, AOC says frequently is we don't watch the polls. We change the polls. You know, it's not about just being a passive observer or trying to act as a political pundit, which is how so much political engagement exists right now. Uh, it's about actually getting involved and saying, you know, we're going to, they're going to do their thing, you know, what, what they're going to say, whatever they're going to say. But if we bring out enough people, if we organize enough people, if we knock on enough doors, if we raise enough uh, grassroots donations and uh, do actual voter outreach, just like the Bernie campaign did with these, you know, Sudanese communities, with these Ethiopian pork workers, you know, who overwhelmingly went for Bernie Sanders, that's how you win an election. And that, you know, the media is going to take a while to catch up. Clearly, you know, they got to take down their needle. They got to bring back their needle, go through all, jump through all these hoops. I will say on the, you know, question of Buttigieg, it was savvy in a way, I guess, for him to just proclaim himself victorious with zero percent in because that did grant him some 
uh, headlines. I think it is completely abominable to do that and claim to be, you know, an honest politician. I think it's hard to, for anybody to look at this and say, this guy is, you know, somebody I want to get behind and support after he pulls a stunt like this, after he's trying to portray himself as like the Obama 2.0, you know, like this is his whole thing. I'm this young, fresh face. I'm going to bring these fresh new ideas. <laughs> that said, nobody can name any of these new ideas Pete's running on. But besides any of that, they spiked this Des Moines Register poll two days before his campaign's gloating about how they got this poll, you know, the gold standard yeah. poll killed mm -hmm. days before the caucus. Then, you know, Liz Smith, his, his New York operative, tells him to go out there. This is just, you know, we're just seeing kind of the things that make people most cynical about politics happen in front of our faces. So I think people are fed up with that. Well, uh, there is a lot of cynicism that grows out of it. And there is also a notion, hey, you do what you got to do to win an election. And uh, so Pete Slick, I got to give him credit. Uh, he declared himself the victor, even yeah. though no votes were count. And it worked. Well, the New York it, Times little meter said, the, 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 Buttigieg. Well, and that's the sad thing. I mean, as I mentioned before, the real, the real takeaway from this should be in the Iowa caucus, yeah, Pete did well. I'm not going to deny that. You know, he got he got a lot of support. Bernie Sanders got far more. Bernie Sanders got you know six thousand more votes in the first round than his closest competitor. And we, you know, when in a state like Iowa, that's an overwhelming you know show of support and in terms of him being uh, the victor in the popular vote totals. But also, Joe Biden got in fourth. I mean, this is a camp. Joe Biden's campaign had a disastrous finish, and there's no other way to look at it. You know, with even with rose tinted glasses, what uh, uh, what Biden did was just uh, was you know, a very sad, sad showing for somebody that's claimed to be the front runner for this whole race. And yet, as you said, because, you know, Pete claimed victory and they refused to release these results and everybody's like, what the hell's going on? The, the headlines aren't talking about those very clear takeaways from this. So I think people, you know, it's, this is, we got to put this behind us. You know, New Hampshire is in a few days. There's going to be a plenty new set of media narratives to come out of that. After that, it's Nevada, South Carolina. We're going to have Super Tuesday. So strap in because, yeah. you know, they're going to they're gonna keep, you know, this is not the last time we're going to see some hijinks is what I predict. But that is not going to change the fact that Bernie Sanders is winning. All right, we got Ed Maher on deck. He's going to give us the labor perspective on all this madness that's going out. Uh, the Democrats try to figure out who uh, is the best suited to run against Donald John Trump. Before I let you go, want to plug an article or anything from In These Times? Yeah, definitely. Well, I just um, put up a few articles today, um, one of which is on a group of workers in the Bay Area who have uh, just announced a unionization campaign at the Tartine Bakery in the Bay Area, um, which is very exciting because this is, you know, these are service workers, um, announced a campaign to unionize hundreds of them. So check that out uh, at In These Times. I uh, wrote an article myself on kind of, you know, pushing back on all this media hand wringing over the term socialism and how socialism is going to be such a big liability for Bernie Sanders in the general election. Um, based on the Iowa results. I mean, I think that it's a clear indication that voters are going to get over that and they're going to vote for the agenda they think best represents them and not be scared off by terminology, even if Joe Biden's trying to raise these fears, which he was the other day. So that's um, an article called um, Bernie's Feet in Iowa Shows Democratic Socialism Can Win by myself. So check that out. Um, yeah, at InTheseTimes.com. All right, very good. Miles Conflesson is here every Thursday from In These Times. Appreciate it, Miles. Ed Maher on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. 